Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. Hey, first up is ElixirConf keynote videos are starting to show up on YouTube. So we've got a link to the playlist in the show notes. There were four keynotes. They were all amazing. So you should definitely go watch them. The first one was Jose Valim's. He talks about Elixir 1.14. Of course, there's going to be a lot of live book featured in there. He talks about the DBG function, of course. He talks about the new new features in live book and all the other changes in, in 1.14, like partition supervisor. Another keynote was Brian Carterella. What is Live View Native? So that's that's his his keynote. That one's really interesting to watch if you're definitely if you're interested in the mobile development area and how Elixir and Phoenix Live View can play into that. We also have Chris Granger who talks about the future AI stack. So his point was that Elixir and NX are ready. So there's the big point there. Sorry to spoil it for you, but it's still a great talk. You should go check that out. And then lastly, Chris McCord's final keynote was on a Phoenix and Live View updates. It was interesting being there in person and seeing all that. But Kate, you just watched the whole video. What did you think of of that? I love the part where they left Chris McCord typing the UID. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. still there in the final product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so watch yeah. the whole thing if you want to see how exciting that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was it was quite painful in person too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about those changes. I was waiting there like when when is he going to talk about when it's coming out? Like I want to see all these things. And spoiler alert, I guess he didn't does, didn't talk about when they're coming out, but some exciting stuff coming down, right? Like the tailwind. The, there's tailwind changes coming to to Phoenix, and I love how he introduces that. Like he said, now for the most controversial part of my talk, tailwind in Phoenix. I'm like that's funny. Yeah, but he he did it very artfully, I think. Where <laughs> he he talked about like how Phoenix and LiveView particularly challenge like the existing domain and how it solves problems differently. And he approached Tailwind in a similar fashion. You know, he didn't start with like utility first CSS and how everything can, you know, be customizable wherever you need it to be. He started with components. He addressed like probably folks' largest issue with Tailwind up front. He did a great job with it. And that just tied in very well with the coming updates in Phoenix and LiveView. Yeah, and I think he pointed out that it'll be easier than ever to to pull it out if you really don't want to go down that path. So, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, whatever you want to use, isn't you're available to use. Yeah, anyway, so those are the four keynote videos. They're up on uh, YouTube now. Go check them out. Next up, we wanted to point out a OWASP secure coding curriculum. It's a Elixir secure coding training. I think it was coming from the Podium company. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So this was one of the talks that was at ElixirConf, just that there's an update on it and there's more happening around the the GitHub project. Because like the GitHub project was just announced as the talk like concluded, I think. You know, so it was just brand new. And so now we're seeing more stuff coming out around it. That's cool. So check that out if you're interested. It looks like it's going to be broken into eight topics, have multiple lessons. Definitely something that we could shed light on in the community, right? Totally looking forward to that one. And I think we'll certainly try and go deeper on that in the future. Next up is a little update. We noticed that Akka is changing their license. So Akka is A-K-K-A. What is Akka? So basically, if you think of Erlang ported to Java, that's Akka. 
So the story that I've always heard behind it, I don't know that it's actually 100% true, but it's like a consultant comes into a large company and the company says, this is what we want. We want a system that does this. And the consultant says, well, you need Erlang. And they said, we don't want Erlang. We want Java. We want it to be able to do this and this and this. And he says, you need Erlang. We don't want Erlang. We want Java. So then he went about creating OTP in Scala, which is a JVM language. So basically in Java. So it's still running on the JVM. So it still has a lot of the limitations of the JVM in terms of threads not being actual true processes and it's trying to mimic all of those things. Anyway, they still try to keep the actor model and they keep the let it crash mantra. What they've done now is they changed to a new license for Akka. It's the business source license version 1.1. So why did they do that? Any clues here? I have to assume that it's similar to like what Maria DB did what Redis did at Couchbase, I think, did the same thing. All these cloud centric solutions that it became really easy for cloud services like AWS to just take those things, make a managed service out of it, and then make a lot of money, you know, <laughs> and essentially siphon that money away from the original innovators that most likely have more experience, you know, supporting that, that product. So they created the the BSL uh, license here, which is essentially to say, yes, it's still like source available, but large companies can't compete with the original innovators and 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 host it. <laughs> I, I think I might be reducing it a bit too much. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but that's the idea. So just looking at their announcement, it says production use of the software requires a commercial license from Lightbend. And the commercial license will be available at no charge for early stage companies But the whole idea, what I think is different about this than about something like Redis or a database service or something like that, is this is like an SDK that you build your application on, like your code is built this way. You can't just say, oh, we want to switch to a different alternative, you know, storage engine. It's like, nope, this is your application. Here in the Elixir space, we're not necessarily tempted by Akka at all, although I do believe a lot of good ideas that came out of Akka were brought into and influenced some of the things in Elixir. So there is a a positive there. But I guess my point is using Elixir and Erlang directly, you don't have this business license that would limit you in this way. Potentially. I mean, who knows? I mean, let's (laughs) say that we, we just woke up one day in bizarro land and OTP team decided to BS, you know, change over to BSL. Like, you know, what kind of impact that would have? That would be quite different, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that, that I have not heard that. It's, I'm totally making that up. But that would be, that, I have to imagine that Akka changing its license is going to be a big deal for a lot of Java shops because, yeah, now, now it's not so easy of a decision. So who knows? Hey, and speaking of licenses... Postgres Citus is actually going the other way. They're going fully open source. <laughs> so I think that's that's great news. If you haven't heard of Citus, here's their quote that describes what they do. Scale easily from a single node to a distributed Postgres cluster with the Citus extension to Postgres. So it is now 100% open source. So we got a link to their blog post that goes all into detail about why they chose to do this. I imagine a lot of folks may not have actually encountered Citus, but I know it's it's uh, it's probably the go-to solution for when your single node of Postgres needs to scale up horizontally, right? And so you have to start clustering it. Postgres does have some clustering, you know, mechanisms in, in it, but you might need more. And that's where Citus comes in. So Citus is pretty cool. There's a company behind it that's developing the extension, but it's 
now 100% open source. That's pretty cool. So what I thought was interesting is that previously there were certain features that were enterprise only. And they have said those enterprise only features are now open source also. And their business model changed to be based on Azure hosted where they provide a maintained service. So it's interesting. I had not heard about the database before. It certainly sounds interesting to me. Like when we think of Elixir, we think of distributed. I'm thinking like, how distributed? Is this going to work? Like that's what, that's where I went to. It's like well, so so they say distributed, but do they do they mean like on the other side of the world? Does that still work? So this is certainly something I want to look into and just get a an idea of what it is they're doing and how do they resolve this? Yeah, is it distributed within one data center? Is that kind of like the model that they had when they're building this, the mental model, or is this like yeah, I can go across the whole world? Because certainly on fly, that would be really interesting. You probably heard the word Azure and you're probably thinking, why do, Why are they talking about Azure? No one talks about Azure, but Citus Data is owned by Microsoft. So that's why they're talking about Azure. <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they got bought. Next up, Mihao Muscala published JSON 1.4.0 with improved performance for float heavy JSON encodes on OTP 24.1 plus. We'll drop a link to his tweet. But this is interesting. I feel like there hasn't been a ton of changes on JSON. The library seems like it's been pretty stable for a while. And JSON seems like pretty much the go-to library for for anything to do with JSON encoding and decoding. And I, I appreciate that. I can't say the same thing about HTTP libraries, and I wish that I could. <laughs> <laughs> the change is actually really minor in JSON here. And we, we've covered it in the news before, but I think OTP 24, it must be OTP 24 because that's he's now requiring it there. But OTP 24 came with this new way to encode floats you know, really efficiently. I think this was like a, a PhD project out of a university somewhere. So they, they merged it into uh, OTP. And that's all it is, is like changing the function to use that now. So real easy change. A lot of, a lot of wins there. In the Twitter thread, there's a little bit more where they talk about and link to the PR with this. And it really looks like it's just saying, if this function is available, we'll use that so that it will take advantage of it. So presumably it could be more backward compatible. It, it is. Yeah. If it's not there, they still use the older one. Yeah. So it's very cool. And last up, CodeBeam America conference details are out now. So this will be a two-day conference. It's a Thursday, Friday in November 3rd and 4th. It will be in-person and virtual. And the in-person portion is held in the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, California. CodeBeam America is a conference where they talk about Elixir and Erlang. So that's a very interesting conference, you know, where it's focused on the beam. So... Very cool. I've never been to the Computer History Museum. I've heard it's pretty cool, though. That's got to be a good vacation spot. Like, just go check. I've never been on that side of uh, California in in Mountain View. I got to go see what all the hubbub's about. And that's it for the news. Fly.io supports this podcast by providing editing services. Beyond being great for supporting us, they are a great place to host your next Elixir app. Check them out at fly.io. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Christian. Christian, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me today. Well, I'm glad you could join us because you shared something on Twitter, a project that you've been working on, which is called Phoenix Live Storybook. And if people are familiar with like React Storybooks, then they kind of know what it is we're talking about. But then during ElixirConf, there was even a bigger tease where Chris McCord talked about your project and possibly incorporating that into Phoenix itself for having a storybook 
of live view components. And it's like, oh, we, we got to learn. We got to talk about this. This is exciting stuff. So thank you for coming to join us. But before we jump into all that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? So I'm Christian. I'm living in France, in Nantes. So Nantes is a city in the western part of France, like 45 minutes to the ocean. And I'm working for a company named Phoenix with the French spelling. There is like, uh, the, the, the O is missing. This is a, a digital signage company. We set up displays in shop windows and we help shop owners to communicate with their audience, which means pedestrians. And we help them communicate with their own screens and, and also with, um, the screens of other shops in the area. So I'm imagining some some like cyberpunk kind of stuff where it recognizes me walking by <laughs> and it says, hey, you, David, and it keeps on walking. And I go to a different <laughs> store and it says, yes, you, David. <laughs> so you guys do that? No, we don't. We, we actually try to not do scary stuff. Like, <laughs> like filming you walking in the street and, uh, yeah. And I don't know how it is in other countries, but in France, we have like organism very regarding, uh, concerning getting people, um, liberty and, um, Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. So we can do whatever we, we want, but we don't want to. I assumed something there, so I just want to uh, spell it out. So these these displays are internet connected and, and connected to the shop owner's like dashboard of some sort. But I, I'm guessing is is this powered by Phoenix and WebSockets or things like that? Is this is this something that you that you work on yourself? This is powered by Elixir Phoenix. So we have like a Phoenix backend to manage all the screens. It is also managed by, right now, it is React Native apps. So retailers, shop owners have a mobile app to manage their, their screen. So we don't let them do exactly what they want. Otherwise, they, they just would produce horrible content. We, we know <laughs> what, what they are capable of. So we, we produced like a, a, a CMS, a content management system for to generate videos. Uh, so they just have simple forms to fill in and it goes through a serverless service powered on uh, Amazon Lambda and we generate them a, a 10 second video. This part is not fully Elixir. And then we have the, um, the IoT part, the embedded part. So there is a, a Raspberry in the shop, uh, which is uh, feeding the display. And we are actually using Elixir Nerves as well to to manage this uh, this part. So so we are using Elixir a lot. I mean, yeah, you must be pretty excited then about the Live View Native news that happened at ElixirConf then, huh? Uh, I have mixed feelings. Oh. because we, we were using React Native, so it's been a year. We are moving away from it to do progressive web apps. So like we are ditching the native apps. It's too much effort at the React Native part is um, more complicated than just building live view apps. Then there is the store part. Like it's always a mess to distribute applications on, uh, on Android and Apple stores. And so 
we are just a few weeks from shipping this up and we just learned, oh, <laughs> there is a new way. There is a, a new player to, to ship native apps with Elixir. So maybe the next version in two years from now. I don't know. <laughs> Things are, are going too fast. Tech works that way, huh? The, the, the big thing that you could have used two years ago is being shipped today. I think about that, you know, the idea of uh, React Native or Phoenix Live View Native. And it's still a separate interface that you're designing than your web interface. So there is a lot of benefit to just saying it's a progressive web app because I only have to build one and it can have a good experience on a mobile app, even if it's not native, but it can also work on the desktop and laptop and tablet and all these different form factors. So I don't know that it's a terrible thing. It's because you still have to have a separate design for the native and a separate you know, way of building those pages. So I don't know. It's interesting. I'm sure there's a lot we have to learn as uh, people start playing with it. You can't fully extract or abstract the native side of things, right? And so there's always like, you get rejected in the Apple store because of this silly thing. And there's a lot more overhead than just clicking deploy, right? Imagine if you could abstract the whole review process as well into live view native or something. It's like, just click this button and we will fast pass you through the Apple reviewers and launch your app instantly into all the devices and you don't have to wait weeks for it to roll out and all of these things. It'll never be possible to abstract that far, though. But that's not what we invited you to come on and talk with us about. We want to talk about the storybook because, first of all, it's beautiful what you've built. And then, you know, that obviously there's this possible news about how it might work with Phoenix and everything. But so first, I think we need to start off with what is a UI storybook? A UI storybook, it's basically a, a component library, UI component library. It's a library you use to showcase user interface components, document them, and you can also play with them to learn and discover how, how they behave when you change some of their properties. So that's a, the, the main idea behind a storybook. I first saw them when it was, you know, the JavaScript front end components like React. I think it's called React Storybook, in fact. That's where I first saw it. So you're doing this, though, for Phoenix Live View components, right? Yes, exactly. So we, we took our inspiration from the, the React Storybook, also from the Surface catalog. I never been using Surface library myself, but I watched and the, the Surface catalog and I found it really, really interesting. And we can see similarities between what we did, especially on the playground part, and what has been done on, on the Surface catalog. So I wanted to, to share that as well. To go back to the, the React storybook, I actually never really used it myself. We tried to, but it was failure. Like there was too much friction to, to package React components. And uh, I remember that at that time we had a separate GitHub project for our JavaScript components. We were using it like a, a GitHub submodule between the storybook project our own application project. I don't remember really clearly, but I know that it was a mess and there was no really adoption from the team. 
So we tried to do it. We knew that we may have missed something at the time, but we just have been going on with uh, our, our development without a storybook. I think that's a good point to bring up, which is it is extra work to create and maintain a storybook project. And your team, when you were trying to do it for a React storybook, you, it was too much friction. It, it didn't go well. It was not adopted. So if it does go well, what is the benefit? Like, why would people want to do this and spend that effort? The purpose of having a storybook is you have building blocks like Lego bricks. And then if things went well, you can just build your your screens, your user interface, like playing with Lego bricks. You just pick them, drop them on your screen, copy paste some code snippets, and here you are, you have a, a walking a walking page, screen, whatever. That is what it is about. What we, we can do now with um, some new technologies, because we, we started building the storybook in 2020, at that time, we were just learning about a, a new CSS framework named Tailwind. And I remember, I did not discover it myself. It was one of my teammates and told me, oh, look at it, it's awesome. I just had a look on the homepage and what is this mess? Inline styles everywhere. So we, we, <laughs> I, I cannot just unlearn what I have learned all these years. So, okay. <laughs> then I started to see on Twitter, Acker News, everything that there was something going on around Tailwind. So, okay, let's go uh, have a second opinion on this. And um, there was, maybe there is still uh, a blog post on their homepage, like what is behind the, the, the Tailwind story. And I could see that the guy, uh, I don't remember his name, Adam something, was actually very smart. And he, he went through a lot of steps before inventing uh, the Tailwind utility classes approach. And at that time, we were thinking about what can we do to improve our own style sheets? If something was not working well in our code repository, it was style sheets like, okay, JavaScript were almost fine. Elixir code was pretty good. We have a lot of tests, but CSS, it's a nightmare. So we have one of our team members who did a workshop to learn us uh, the BEM approach. I don't know if you are aware of that. It's like... Yeah, the block element modifier way of organizing CSS. Yeah. Yeah, but we... Same thing than React Storybook. We... We didn't, we weren't really, I don't know, everyone was reluctant to use it. So it was a, a little of BEM, <laughs> so, some, some places, but not always. We understood that the Tailwind was encouraging people to, to encapsulate their classes, their inline styles into components. So, oh, okay, it started to click. We were also learning live view at that time, but not really using live components. At that time, function components were not existing. So we started, okay, we can create our own live components, which will like hide all these styles from, from the developer. 
And that's how we, that's the way we started creating UI components. Then the storybook, it was just a simple page where we copy past all of our components. And uh, when one step after another, it became a, a, a real storybook. So you end up building what is now Phoenix Live Storybook. What I thought was interesting is, you know, we have a link in the show notes where you can actually play with a demo of it and see how this looks before you jump in with this. But I love that it's using Heeks templates for the examples of how to actually, like what this component looks like is a Heeks template and I can tweak it or whatever and then copy that and paste it into my project. Is that the idea? Yes, it is exactly the idea. You can actually go into a tab of the storybook, which is named Playground. You can tweak some properties like the text, uh, the text property. Is it a small label? Uh, you, you have toggle switch. You have select as well to, I don't know, to, to pick a color or something. When the component looks like what you want, you can display the code and copy paste it into your, into your project and it is working. So are you using this at work? It sounds like you created it at work. It was a, a project there. And is this something you're actively using? Is the, does the team like it? We have been building this storybook something like um, 18 months ago. It's in production. We are using it daily. The, the team really likes it. Actually, the team built it. So <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the opposite. Way. Uh, it, it's not just my thing. They better like it. There's a lot of stuff I don't like, but that's that I build. <laughs> so that's good. That's that's good praise coming from the team that that built it, that they like it. Do you guys host Storybook in production and like gate it behind some admin flag or something? It's live to everyone. Actually, I, I shared with you um, Elixir forum post, something like that. The first post, there is a link uh, to the original Storybook. So it's the previous one. It's like the one not yet powered with um, the open source library. We are in the process of looping the loop and uh, rewriting it with the open source library. I shared you this post because just this summer, I don't know, uh, some evening I was bored or I don't know. Hey, why not open sourcing our, our storybook? We've been using it for months and it's great. We really like it. And uh, it's been really pretty decent tools to, to increase our productivity. Let's see what people think on Elixir 4. And I, I know from experience that it's a pretty safe place to, to share ideas and get, uh, get feedbacks. And I had instantly overwhelming feedbacks. The only thing is I, I totally underestimated the time it would take to, I don't know, just in, in my mind, it was just, oh, let's copy paste some code from our project to, to a new GitHub repository. There, is, there will be some refactoring involved. No, not at all. You would think that copy pasting was an easy task, but it always turns out to be really, really hard for some reason. <laughs> the, the memes about copy paste driven development, they're all lying to us. It's actually really hard. And there is also a thing about open source development. I'm not so used at open sourcing. I've already done another library, but uh, which is not getting the same traction as Storybook. 
when you are shipping public code, you want it to be just perfect, perfect documentation, perfect test. So it's it's really it's really a, a good thing. So I just could not copy past some bad looking code. I was a bit ashamed of everything. Almost everything has been rewritten. And there are also things that we discovered in the process of making the library because the library was before was just used by us. Like um, if I, and then I started to get feedback on the GitHub on GitHub issues. Like, okay, your storybook styles are kind of leaking into my component styles. What can we do about that? Oh, okay, okay. And uh, yeah, it, it was a tough one. So we had to, to figure out things uh, about sandboxing components. You can actually toggle iframe rendering if you want to, but it's not always the best option because I don't know if you want to display a, a full screen component like a, a slide over or modal component in an iframe, it's not looking so well. So this kind of stuff that you just cannot plan in advance and you figure out when coding, but it's open sourcing it. It's a, it's a great experience so far. That's interesting. Just this whole perspective of needing to isolate the styles of the storybook itself from impacting the styles of the components you're wanting to display and having them completely sandboxed. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Because when you're using it for yourself, it's like, well, it's fine because these happen to be our styles anyway. So that's fascinating. Yes. And it's also the other way around. You don't want the component styles to be messing with your, with the storybook styles. But I think what of the next steps would be to try Bootstrap or whatever other uh, CSS library to, to, to try components not using Tailwind, which is quite rare these days. All right. So I want to try to draw a picture of how to use this and what, what would a developer see when they're using Live Storybook. All right. And so, the, you know, the, obviously there's the installation. You got to install it. You have to share your CSS and your JavaScript with Livebook. So you have to adjust your Phoenix LiveView hooks to also have the storybook or have them be available to storybook. So that, so there's that setup. But then let's say I've, I I want to define a button, right? This is my app, you know, trying to talk to the storybook, you know, library now that I've installed in my 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 application. Instead of doing use Phoenix component, now I would use like what Phoenix live storybook component and then also define a couple of extra functions in there and those and and just you know following that behavior allows storybook to find and display all my components is that generally how this this works am i getting it the the best way i think we can use storybook in, in a project is to create a components project which is not using storybook at all it just your component code using live view on um, and that's all. And then your application can depend on this component project and the storybook project can depend on it as well. So actually you can see storybook as a, uh, a client using your, your project components. So you won't be referencing storybook anywhere in your project. So are you guys using an umbrella app to do this? 
Or is it just a, a completely separate library that you require into your main app? You can do both. We actually use Umbrella apps. So in my app, if I have a, a bunch of components, I would need to extract them into another library, another you know mix install kind of library. And I would just tell my app to just install that, right? Theoretically, I sh shouldn't have to change anything, right? Because like namespaces will all be the same. It's just where the code lives at that point, right? We we um, package them in a separate project in our Umbrella app, but you, you don't have to. You can just have them in a namespace and it will be referenced from your storybook living in the same app and your web app still living where, where it were. So you don't have to extract them in another library if you don't want to. It's, uh, it's up to you. That makes sense. And I do want to point out like how you are hosting the storybook publicly from your website, where you can go to storybook dot and your domain to access the read only storybook. But you could also like you, dear listener, we could take a storybook and set it up as another endpoint that's dev only so that it can't be shipped publicly right? Or if even if the code is shipped, it's not turned on and, and it won't answer any requests. So there's there's multiple ways I think you can do this and still leverage the storybook and, you know, expose it or not expose it. You can actually mount the storybook wherever you want in your router.ehx file. So if you want to mount it only in dev environment, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it at whatever pass you want. What I like about what you just said there is like, yes, it's it's uh, a component. It can be loaded anywhere in my router tree. I could put it under like admin only access if I wanted to. So it could be in production, but only to logged in admin users or something like that, right? Yes, that's it. And if you want to mount it as a subdomain, you can. If you want it, want to mount it as a the pass you want, you can. Yeah, I was going to say earlier that I really love seeing things live. And so I would love putting it like in an admin pipeline or something or like employees only can go view this in production. It's like something fun that could be demoed and like product meetings and stuff. And that's really cool. The main idea behind Storybook is about sharing. So it can be sharing with your team of developers, also sharing with your team of product designers. UX designer, so they can actually know what UI components you have already in your toolkit. So yeah, they can they can mock up the the right uh, the right thing for you, the, the ones that really fit the tools you already have. So we we just our, our point, and there is also the fact that we were really proud of what we've been doing with the storybook. For us, it's okay that's uh, that's live, that's public for everyone to see. Nothing harmful can be done. It's read-only. So let's put it public. But it's up to to the developer using the storybook. It can be private as well. In my previous experience with like working with designers, like they that's this is what they do, right? They're they're designing in Figma usually. And they want to export their designs and then they work with like a front-end developer, right? Because that's that's another person. They work with a front-end developer to create this kind of component. But that's usually stateless in a way. And so then they have to work with a, a back-end developer, a full-stack developer, whatever, to make it like actually work. And the first place that they typically do that 
is in like where it needs to go, <laughs> like in the app, like functionally where it needs to go. And then they might backport it to a, a, a like a storybook kind of component. But admittedly, like that is not, that's probably not the right workflow. So Christian, since this is like, this is your bread and butter, like what is the workflow between like a designer to a front end developer to, I guess, everyone else in, in the company? Like how... Is this easy enough for them, for for non-Phoenix developers to be able to get and contribute components and and these designs? I actually can only imagine because only have Phoenix developers in our team. There is no such thing as um, front-end Phoenix developer. We are all full-stack developers. So that's not really a challenge for us. We actually don't have proper designers in our company. So we actually do <laughs> everything uh, ourselves. So I can imagine that indeed a front-end and client developer will will work with a, a UI designer and ship a component, build it in uh, like in isolation, just a component by itself. Because actually the, the storybook is also a great place to just initiate and, and create your component outside of any business context and page and anything. Just, okay, we, I, I don't know, the, you, you want a new toggle switch or whatever. You can just build it in isolation, uh, make sure your designer is happy with it, and then like ship it to developers so they can use it in their, in their pages. Gotcha. So I love the idea of how this is helpful for teams and the collaboration, but I got to say, I also see this as being super helpful for me as a single developer working on my own project. Because if it's a project, you know, I think of side projects, they can span a lot of time because we're not working full time on it. So I, there are times just in my own projects where I was like, I know I built something like this that does this and look like this. Where was that? And I have to go on this hunt to find in my own code somewhere that I might have touched it like three or four months ago. And I think something like this could be really helpful for just being able to collect the style guide basically for my app so I can be more consistent just within my own app. Do you think there's a benefit there to a single developer using this? For sure there is. Um, I told you that Storybook make, make most sense for teams. Because the idea behind the storybook is is sharing, but still it's really relevant for for solo developers. Like, like you said, we are always recreating the same button, drop down, toggle switch components, on all projects, and uh, often in the same project, duplicating. Like, okay, we actually use tailwindui.com, copy paste some nice looking component, boom. There it is, and doing it over and over again, and building a storybook, even as a uh, as a solo developer, is interesting because it forces you a little to to care about your components and build some some library that you can use just for yourself. And that maybe I don't know, I didn't do it myself, but port from carryover from one project to the other. During ElixirConf, Chris McCord talked about your project specifically, and 
he mentioned the idea of bringing something like this, like a storybook, into Phoenix itself. And then you you shared this link to the Elixir Forum, and we have a link to that as well. And in that, this is back in July 2022, where Chris actually said, hey, we are planning on releasing something like this itself in LiveView, inspired by the Surface catalog. Is this something you'd be interested in collaborating on? So I've got to ask, is there any collaboration going on there? Is Is there any hope of this becoming part of Phoenix proper? Yes, there is hope. There is almost collaboration. We actually got in touch with Chris a couple of weeks ago, and he was actually really into uh, preparing the ElixirConf. So just told me, okay, you you are building the 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 storybook we wanted to build with um, something like a crossover between Tailwind, LiveView components, and Surface Catalog. But I think he will want to. Just have a look at the code we already built to see what can all things get going. But I, I'm really open to collaborate with, uh, with these guys because I only have things to learn from them. It's awesome. We, we already learned a lot from other official Phoenix libraries, such as uh, we were talking about root or routing earlier. We took a lot of inspiration from the Phoenix dashboard project. That's the magic of open source. Like we we are learning all the time from the community. So I hope that uh, there will be some some news in the in the coming weeks. We'll see. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think some of the upcoming like features in LiveView, component props and args like. That has got to be like some of the most enabling features for like what a storybook can do, right? And like documenting that, being able to reflect on that kind of stuff, that's got to be a a big help. You said something that just tickled me. I got to repeat it. So this might be a quote. This might go to Twitter. We'll see. But you said that like we're we're almost collaborating, <laughs> almost collaborating. So <laughs> that's like my constant state. It's like yeah, I'm almost I'm almost collaborating with everybody. <laughs> Just right there, not quite, but but the intention is there. <laughs> I was curious also about the ability to contribute because I saw one of the recent changes was it sounded like it was a contribution where it was a keyboard shortcut to do a pop up search to jump to a component. So are you open to contributions on the project and and PRs? Yes, yes I am. Actually this one, the the common case search was a contribution from Mathieu, who is one of our teammates. So So it's still (laughs) in-house. Yeah, still in-house. But we we also have uh, contributions uh, recently from Darren, who I don't know at all, but doing great stuff is working on live event logs like you can see phx click events on everything info events received by either your components or the live view so it's great to see new features shipped by other users that's cool i had never considered that but that would be awesome to like click the button and see here's what the events are doing when they're fired and here's what the parameters they're passing are and would speed up the usage. And for components, I don't know, like um, a tip ahead uh, autocomplete input, you could see what the component is sending to your 
to your live view and uh, learn the message signature, the API from uh, of your component. So th this would be really helpful for developers. Well, this is one of those projects I think is really exciting that can really help uh, the community grow. And one of the things that I think we've talked about a lot is the value of a component library that's community organized and maintained just to, as a starting point, you know, to say, hey, I want to get started with LiveView. Do I have to build all the components myself or is there some place to start from? And I think a tool like this makes that even easier, maybe to start thinking about. Obviously, we're always going to have custom components in our own projects that are unique to our design, that are unique to the functionality in our own projects. But, and I, I'm really excited to play with this. This is like one of those things like, oh, this, this could really help me stay on top of and be and encourage good practices of, oh, if I just pull this out and extract this into a component, then I have automatically more continuity across all the different pages and the different uses of the component instead of just copy paste something from Tailwind UI and I have a whole bunch of one-offs that slowly drift over time. So I love the idea of being able to centralize the design and make it intentional. That sums up my experience, right? You start small, you're like, ah, it's just a button. And then 17 million buttons later, you realize, wow, I really should have made this a component. <laughs> start from the beginning. Well, Christian, if people want to get in touch with you or follow the progress of the project or anything like that, where should they go? I think the best place to to have um, regular news uh, in this project is uh, Elixir Forum. There is a post uh, where I regularly post news updates and uh, uh, videos. So Elixir Forum is the place to go. Cool. And we have a link to that thread in the show notes. Well, Christian, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure and I'm really excited. And I, I appreciate the effort that it took and takes to extract this from your project, something like, you're like, this is awesome for us. We're happy for it. And then you like try to make it general purpose for anyone to pull into their own projects. Like, wow, that's a lot of work. Well, I appreciate you putting in that work because a lot of people can benefit. Yeah, thank you. It's it's our way. You, you know, I've been doing Elixir Forum since, uh, I don't know, two, 2015, seven years now. Elixir and Phoenix really changed my life as a, a developer. It's a, it's really a fantastic tool. So it's a way to to give back to the community. So we we're really happy to to share this uh, this library. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.